Hello, and welcome to the second hour of Barbarian in the Valley. The Free Associates. That's right, folks, the Free Associates. Free to associate with any idea, anybody that comes our way. Oh, and free to associate. Do you like free associate? Now, actually, I hadn't asked you to do this before, but quickly, Sam, do a drawing. Quickly. I'm going to want you to show it to me in a minute. Forgot about that, but we'll come back around. Now, I biked across the basin of the valley, the Pioneer Valley, and I thought to myself, what a perfect world we live in. It's really perfect. Judging by the five senses, five senses, there's nothing wrong with it. And I'm not saying there is. I'm actually saying, behold this beautiful day. Behold it. Take it in. Because it's gorgeous. Now, we are at the base of the neo-brutalist structure, the Soviet structure at the center of UMass Amherst campus. And we are climbing into the crystal ship, folks. Yes, all three of us are getting into the crystal ship. And we are ascending. And we are climbing up in the air. Come out to your window. Look out your window. We're there. We're hovering over the campus. Oh, look down there. The football game's about to start. People are tailgating. The Pioneer Valley looks just so gorgeous right now. I want to say hi to Greenfield, Leverett, Amherst, Northampton, Florence. I see my kids. They're on Mount Tom with their grandmother right now. They're climbing up Mount Tom. Hey, Harper and Rockwell, wave to me. I'm up in the sky. All right. Now, something that we're doing all the time now is that one of my guests will show me a drawing, and I have to free associate on that drawing. Sam Stoddard has done a drawing very quickly. Stop, Sam. Show it to me. I'm about to free associate on it. Very hard to free associate on this, but it's pretty much, you basically did a drawing of what I just described, so it's very hard to free associate on it. <laughs> He's showing me a sunny, beautiful day where nothing's wrong. There's a tree and a bike path. Like, it's hard for me to free associate on that, Sam, but thank you for trying. You guys, you guys will get your chance in a little bit. All right, now, if you want to join us on our conversation the second half of the hour, go ahead to barbarianinthevalley.com because the reading is there. I have to say it's one of my favorite readings so far. Um, and it's about polarization. So check it out. Also, we are podcasted all over the universe. And there's the podcast for the first hour, Barbarian in the Valley. And then there's the Free Associates, the second hour, okay? Sam Stoddard and the Whale Dog are going to join us in a couple minutes. Meanwhile, we know that Prague Rock and Radio Talk just goes so well together. So please sit back and listen to some Diodata. We'll be back in a minute. coming back you're listening to the free associates those of us who are free to associate that have that freedom that great freedom and i have two guests in the um station today and they've actually spoken to each other but this is the first time they've seen each other because the whale dog called in on an episode that we were doing about uh the commons the commons the tragedy of the commons that was right. a good episode yeah it's fun yeah well so sam introduce yourself would you 
So I'm Sam Stoddard. I uh, teach American politics at College of the Holy Cross. Yeah, and you did that drawing, <laughs> and it really was just what I was describing. I warned you, I'm not the creative yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's not really fair. I kind of popped in on you. I have a drawing in this notebook. I'm easily influenced. <laughs> yeah, you're very, you're very absorbent is what you are. But, you know, it's a beautiful drawing. It's not as beautiful as the day is. I tell you, I'm still humming from that bike ride. You know, I feel so good. You guys were in your, you know, gas-choked vehicles coming mm -hmm. over here, and I was on my bike totally free. New wheels on Vanessa, baby. New wheels? New rims or new wheels? So I, I found ah, this guy. That's right. This is super Listen, you got about 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. Super serendipitous, yeah. though. Coming home, I see two, not one, but two Vanessas parked there. 1980s Toyota van. 1980s Toyota van. Classic. Turns out the guy is a, like... He's just a doctor of fixing these things. So I went yep. down an hour and a half into Connecticut, Connecticut yeah. to see this Vanessa farm and got new wheels on her. Oh, sweet. Got a little tweak of the engine. Now, you guys are both parking scofflaws. I walked Sam out the other day and he was <laughs> parked. He had a good, pretty good parking spot, which I'm actually not sure it's illegal. But he has the best parking spot. Seems like you can park almost anywhere on a weekend around here. Oh, is that what it seems like? You guys are so arrogant. It seems that way so far. Well, maybe Until not evidence today. contradicts me. We I'll are, tell you what. It was mm -hmm. a ghost town up there where I park. Oh, I know no where you park. There. Why don't we go ahead and say it? <laughs> okay. And really hoping security is listening. No, we're in the Crystal Ship. There's no orange van on campus. Uh, there's an orange van parked in the loading zone right above the neo-brutalist structure on this campus. Please ticket him. Tow him. Take his wheels off, whatever you want to do. He's been a scofflaw for months now. That's what he does. He wants to be free. I would go in the garage, but I was on my bike. Don't mess with my bike. All right. Now, we have what, what I think is a really strong article. Um, of course, it's only eight or nine pages, so it can't cover everything. And where my critique will come in will be kind of based around that. Now, we're also running a risk right now because, Sam, I would consider you borderline expert because... I gave you the article. You didn't even know about it. Turns out you know the guy. Yep. Turns out you've worked with the guy on studies just like this. The, yeah, I think we added evidence that sort mm. of contributed to his Bl overall evidence. conclusion. Yeah, blah, he's blah, over blah. here. He's like, yeah, we play Scrabble together on Tuesdays. Yeah. Just like, oh, we, don't, we don't like the word evidence on the show, and we don't like experts. <laughs> Which is, I have to say, to the point of the article a little bit. Yeah. We are actually, I, you know, Waylon's an expert at certain things. Like Halo, the video game. Um, yes, but of course, original Halo. We generally don't like experts on the show because um, we want it to be a pursuit, a shared pursuit, not like, well, I have this study that shows this and stuff like this, and I did my dissertation on that. So we're watching you very closely. Fair enough. Now, you came in all full of steam. You're like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain the article, and I need three minutes to do this. Didn't you? I would take them. Uh, we'll see. You gotta get them. <laughs> Meanwhile, you I'm gotta over here take them. Drinking natty lights and reading this article He's reading last it. night. Waylon's reading it. <laughs> and I'm like, as oh we yeah, speak. go, go. I'll just talk. Yeah, Waylon's okay butt. with with seeding some. If it has anything to do with factual stuff, Waylon will back off for a little while and then come back in <laughs> for the kill. I think Sam, everyone's an expert on this topic. <laughs> I suppose it's about polarization, and so we're all living through it. Right. Yes. Yeah. And and, and you, know, think, well, you know, you we'll know, he was a history undergrad. So mm -hmm. he's, he's not completely clueless about this stuff, and I teach history. So I, I think you're the biggest expert, but I'm going to go ahead and let you um, summarize the article. That's Ooh. my generosity to you. Well, thank you. And that's where it begins and ends today. So go ahead. What is the article about? All right. So, um, so Jonathan Rausch writes for Brookings. Oh, this is for a different... This is actually... And it's National Affairs, National and Affairs. I, I looked it up. It's a little right of center. That's what Media Bias said. It said mm -hmm. it was highly factual... 
I'm a little bit right of center. And Jonathan would consider himself a, a moderate right up yeah. the middle. Well, it's it's um, towards moderate, but it's a little bit right. National affairs is, anyway. Yeah. And, of course, to the point of the article, what that means is changing daily. Yeah. That is to say, what was um, right wing maybe six months ago, that person might find themselves in the middle of something or even politically homeless. Or more to the point of the article, I think the idea that we would identify on this right versus left yeah. ideological policy-based spectrum is maybe a little outdated. It might be going away. So go ahead and describe the article, would you? Um, yeah, so um, we're all aware that there's a lot of polarization going on in our politics these days, and we watch it on the television or whatever, and we become disgusted and turned off, and um, <clears throat> that's totally true. Um, as presented in the article, um, over the past several decades, the officials that represent us in government, um, the Democrats, the Republicans, they've gotten farther apart. They agree on less. Uh, political scientists are fond of taking every vote in Congress and then assigning it a score as to whether it's a, a conservative or a liberal vote. And then by the, the accumulation of, of every member's votes, we get we get scores for individual members. Point being... You're um, starting to sound like an expert. Uh, trying not to. <laughs> Pack on. Um, and so <laughs> Just talk about point the being article. That if you look back in the 70s, um, Democrats and Republicans agreed on a lot more stuff, and you mm -hmm. had Democrats who were legitimately more conservative and Republicans who were legitimately more liberal overlap between the parties. Yep. Um, and so that has changed. Parties don't overlap anymore. Um, we can get into it. I would contend that's a good thing. Right. Um, Which, uh, if I can just bounce in here, he does talk about the 1950s mm -hmm. and how the 1950s was actually criticized for being... Right. Nonpartisan, you, you know, you had Adelaide Stevenson, who was a straw man for Eisenhower. Like, there was no really choice. And I remember in the 90s, people felt that way, too. They're like, well, it's all the same party. I yeah. don't know if people feel that way anymore. And so you have to be careful what you wish for. And so I come from that place, right? The first presidential election I voted in was 2000. And the general refrain among us college kids at the time was, they're all the same. Yes. They're all the same. Right? And there was a decent amount of truth to that. Yep. Um, and so the, to the extent that the parties give us actual clear choices, I think that's good. In the past, if people had party loyalty and there wasn't a clear ideological um, makeup that, that really defined what a party, well, then what does that party loyalty mean? It, it, it's almost irrational. Hmm. And so, so, so the parties are divided. I don't think that's really the problem here. I think right, that you're the not thing summarizing the article, us, though. Let's, I'm going to have to steal this from you, my friend. <laughs> steal it away. I'm going to have well, to take I'm it away. Well, I'm into what Jonathan said. It's about the public. It, right. Well, this is your thesis, sure. and, and I agree with you, and I think that's Roush's thesis. Mm -hmm. But just to kind of just really quickly summarize this, he's saying, as, as you said, that, that partisanship is going through the roof and, and has been on a steady rise since the 70s and has probably gone on turbo drive recently. Right. He is making the case that this has become a self-replicating phenomenon, that tribalism and that deep need for association and being with one another is accelerating it beyond the point of interest or even coherency. That is, people aren't really totally clear on why they're doing this, but they're clear that they hate the other thing. Right. And that's binding them together, and that binding feels good. And so we're dealing, and then, then that erodes institutions, which leads to more chaos, which leads to more fear and more binding and more tribalism. That it's all kind of like a cancerous phenomenon, and it's kind of running away from us because it's, it's no longer based in anything anyone understands or can do anything about or anything, right? So we see this in government and we point to it and we think, oh, why can't they get along? And really what's going on is that they are reflective of what's going on 
in the public and this 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 tribal need in terms of our identities, mm-hmm. um, and that they're kind of taking advantage of it. I mean, that's certainly the Donald well, who's Trump. Who's they in this case? Who's taking advantage of it? Well, if you want to point to the extreme example, I'd say Trump. You know, sunk his teeth into this this tribal need for identity and belonging and hatred of the other side, and and really took advantage of mm-hmm. it. And 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 wise politicians are doing that. Well, That's, I think you could also make the case that Sanders tapped into that in the last election. Sure, I'm yeah. not I'm not saying hatred necessarily, but definitely tribalism. Yeah, the the, the Sanders group had a very strong affinity and affiliation. I mean, they all went to the convention in hats, mm-hmm. you know, Robin Hood hats. And so, what's more tribal than Robin Hood, right? <laughs> it's literally a a band of brothers going around stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. See, the thing about the tribalism and the community, I I, I agree with, this really is a great, great article. Mm -hmm. The tweak that I would make is that the acceleration happens, this idea of sense of community is actually, I think, a little bit misconstrued. I think it comes into play of one's own self-identity and then trying to fit that into a community because... Mm -hmm. You look. You just look at where we're going with the trajectory of um, of social media and constructing your own uh, like brand almost yep. of people. And so, what we were talking about before is this. Evo- what you were saying, evolution of somebody's. Um, you know how they identify. That if that changes from even if I'm one day I'm talking about uh, you know the NFL and, and kneeling and I take one side of that and then all of a sudden the next day I'm talking about uh, tariffs and I take a different side on that that changes your entire brand yeah. overnight and so that's what we're kind of struggling with I see is just like this idea of it is tribalism but the the more it's a reflection of self identity here yes, and, and where you're going to yeah now, so, this is interesting, and I think uh, an, another episode should just be given over to self-selection. You know, the YouTube feed that you get mm-hmm. is really good. It's like actually really good algorithm, however they're doing it. Unfortunately, it keeps you in a bubble a little bit. Oh, yeah. And, you know, what you're saying is very much in your personality. That is, I think that you try to find the crevices between uh, identities. Like, that's where you live, or fester. I like to think of you as festering. Like a yeah. sickness. And you always have to be just kind of constantly aware. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Uncle Fester. That's, <laughs> that's what I am. Um, but you always have to be aware and kind of always be analyzing this stuff. One of the things, there's a little anecdote that um, is in the article about uh, how people just really, the, the emotions take hold in uh, sporting events. Yep. And yeah. so you're watching this, you know, uh, this replay and you're clearly seeing that it's yes. pass interference, but you're like, what is that? How is that pass interference? Blah, sure. blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, you can trick yourself into being part of this, of this tribe. When you're, because it feels good. Because it feels because good. Because it and you feels never, good. And the other part that is kind of missing out of this the, is that, we never want to be wrong because nowadays in society, yep. being wrong, you get severely punished for. I, I think, being wrong or not knowing what's going on. Yeah. And being like, I actually don't know. I'm agnostic on this. I'm not really sure. That's not acceptable either. Yeah. I think the sports analogy is so perfect for this tribal politics because it really exposes how policy is just not the thing driving people. So if you look at like NFL or like what I often talk to my students about is deflate gate, right? It's like yeah, such yeah. an example of this. Um, but even with just any call in sports um, if you're arguing over a pass interference call and we're argue- always arguing that like no our team is is totally in the right on this right 
it's not that we're sitting there and we're going, that wasn't pass interference because my principles are that I am into a loose definition of what pass interference should, right? Like, yeah. we're not actually standing on principle about what should be pass interference or shouldn't be. It's We're just mapping it onto our side. And that's what everybody yeah. does in politics. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, and this, I have to say, is what makes this article frightening to me. Because what I feel like Roush is saying is that this is satisfying a deep longing to be connected. Right. And that, when I look at it that we're way... We're not getting and, it elsewhere. And that we're not getting elsewhere. And when I look at it that way, and I have, then I think this is, a, this is bigger than we even think it is. Now, I remember in 08, uh, or, or yeah, it must have been the winter of 09, right after Obama was inaugurated, we were, Robin and I were coming down from upstate New York down to the city. We went over to a shopping mall to get something, and there were the Tea Party people were out there. And I saw them, and I thought, wow, that's so powerful. You know, people are seeing these people and mocking them. I am looking at people who have been lonely for years, and now they're in a parking lot together, and they're communicating. Oh, boy, that's going to be a powerful movement because they're being fed love, uh, affection, affinity, bonding, identity. And that is, is what they really want, I think, more than anything. And that's going to be hard to break. And, of course, the Tea Party has led into Trumpism. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's get one thing straight. Oh, straight. Okay. Mm. Straighten the, the That Straighten love yeah, please. and appreciation Straighten and adoration of all of this is a mistranslated it's all fear it's all fear okay. that's mistranslated no. into disagree and well, that's it disagree the you point is supposed to that? be that there's two yeah. sides of all of this. i we almost need always love. agree with you i disagree with you we need love we need we need we need this this structure around us of a, of a at least a small insular community where we feel supported and taken care of because we have fear of the outside they, they get they yeah, go it's hand both. Hand. i so think it's both ways. i actually followed around a tea party candidate for a while i was mm-hmm. thinking about doing a documentary right when right at the beginning of everything uh, he was running for um, he was running for a state congressional seat, and I was embedded for multiple events mm-hmm. with Tea Party people. They're not bad people, but the only thing that was really, I mean, you could see how pissed off they were. And is that is that what the community we're talking about? I mean, that's what what Roush is saying in this is like we're driven by this fear, mm-hmm. and fear can you know be. Uh, associated with hate in this yep. particular thing, I didn't see a lot of love. I, there wasn't no, mm-hmm. you know, somebody making German potatoes at the potluck and mm-hmm. talking about how they're going to change the world for the better. This was our world sucks, and these people are are the reason because of it. Okay, the, the fear is natural. It's the 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 vitriol and the hate are coming from the lack of the support system that we are that we identify with to balance it out. And so the reason we feel so stressed out about this is because, sure, we're afraid of outgroups, and we always have been. That's, that's the point that he makes so well in the article. But we don't have something that makes us feel calm about that because we don't have support around us. And For sure. Our communities are fragmented, basically. I mean, Waylon, I get what you're saying, and um, you pulled the expert card a little bit. It's okay. Um, what? Well, just by saying you follow this candidate around and stuff like that. I guess my parking lot story makes me an expert, too. <laughs> I did. But I, I get what you're saying, and I understand it. I often think that these movements start from an initial need to be with other people, and then, like fascism or something like that, turns into like basically a hate movement, where right. like the hatred spins up and up. So I'd be curious what year you were doing that, for example. I don't know. But um, couldn't we agree that, that it can also be about bonding and stuff like that, and being feeling safe with other people and feeling... 
uh, not alone anymore. Because I did feel like the people I was seeing in the parking lot struck me as people who had been alone. I could be wrong. It's totally anecdotal. No, I, and it goes back to that kind of cultural thing. It's like, why do you, why, does, why does everybody wear a um, Make America Great Again hat? Because you can immediately see it. It's a recognizable symbol. You can, pick about, you can pick out somebody from a crowd that you are. You might not know anything about that person, but you're going to associate that ideology with them and be like, yeah, let's go. Right. Uh, absolutely. Now, I think, so what I'm saying is, bottom line is that Rausch's main thesis is powerful because I do think, as Sam said, lacking any other kind of forms of association, you know, like church or sometimes work, you know, he talks about work and how jobs are going away, then this kind of tribalism becomes very powerful and almost a necessity. You know, it, I think what happens is it jumps from being something communal to something that you can't let go of. And that's when, the, when it becomes less communal and kind of more hate-driven because it becomes more anxious. And you're always being fed this really fearful vision of the other. Now, I, I, I mentioned I was going to bring up Sebastian Younger and his book Tribe because this is exactly what that book covers. And I have to say, one of my only critiques of that book is he talks about political partisanship, but in my opinion, doesn't make the connection with what Rausch is saying, which is the political partisanship is coming from the same lack and need that people, uh, these veterans are coming when they come home, this lack of connection. Let's critique the article a little bit. Now, obviously, Roush can't cover every base, right? It's impossible. It's only 10 pages. His underlying thesis, I accept. But I feel like there's perhaps, Sam, why don't you talk about this? What's, you're talking about the public aspect. Yeah, so um, when we look again at polarization among parties can't get along in Congress, um, <clears throat> There's like a chicken and the egg aspect to this. Like, are they just reflecting their voters or are they um, actually driving voters and, and they're acting as sort of leaders that are leading people towards more tribalism? I, I feel like it's mostly the voters that are taking the lead here for the reasons that we've been talking about. So um, or, it's or not, the public broadly. It's not the parties because the, what is the Republican Party, right? Yeah, like it, that. They're again, they're like tribes, right? They're 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 aspects of people's personal identity, and so it makes so much more sense to trade, uh, you know, change your views on trade policy, so that you can continue to have your association I with see. the same group. Right. He makes that point really well in the article that that there's, you know, when we when we look at at group identity as part of our identities, that is so so fundamental to who we are. Policies that that a group group aligns with or now doesn't align with are, are secondary, and it's much easier to change your your policy view of something than it is to change the group that you associate with. And so we we and, and and you know for the same reason that in the caveman days, like if if everyone in the cave like got on board with an idea, it was like you're going to get on board with that idea right. because it's it's the safer thing to do. Um, you need them to to go out and hunt and gather for you. Yeah, that's like the essence of a tribe. And he talks about how the essence of democracy. And, and liberal democracy, you know, like in the larger sense, classical liberalism, is that we are not tribal, right. that we found find a way as a very large group of people to compromise because that's the only way that you can bring tribes together the idea and have a nation state or a country or whatever you want to call it. You, you find these benefits in these, these liberal institutions that force you to give up your tribalism yes. for the sake of you know, free speech rights and things like that. Property. And that we then make like a conscious trade. Right. Um, and, and he spells that out as, as being like a very direct thing that, that people bought into and maybe people are buying into less now because we are seeing fewer benefits. Yes, people are buying into it less and they're also, because they're not buying into it, the institutions are crumbling, and 
their the their affiliations are stronger than the institutions. They're like invisible affiliations that are tribal affiliations. The institutions aren't bringing benefits anymore, and so the tribe replaces it. Yeah, and so that goes to the other, I think, critique of the article. It's not so much a critique as... So the, the thesis is that this is a self-replicating phenomenon. The other way to see this is like, no way. And I think, Sam, you might be going in this direction too, which is we're living in a time where wealth inequality hasn't been this high since 1928 or 1929. And there's all kinds of dysfunction actually going on out there. So naturally, people are ready to go to war over it. And, you know, essentially, you have factionalism, which is another word for tribalism, because people are massively disenchanted. Quick advertisement, George Packard's book, The Unwinding, is excellent. Oh, man, it's so good. And it came out a couple of three, four years ago. Boy, what a strong book. And he, he, one of the things is quite interesting. One of the persons he follows had been a Biden guy, a Joe Biden guy. You know, had been working for Biden for like 15, 20 years in Washington. That was eye-opening. <laughs> I'll tell you, it did not make Biden sound very cool. <laughs> you know, I have some affection for Biden as a kind of just, you know, personality-wise. Like, I kind of like his, like, personality, but uh, reading this book was interesting. But that book is looking at what is this real unwinding in parts of the country, where some parts of the country are being really privileged, other parts of the country, or other classes, or races, or whatever you want, whatever you want to cut the pie, really aren't. So is this, is this polarization a result of some replicating, self-replicating thing, or is it really just the result of, like, actual underneath deep, polarizing economic and political disenfranchisement. Here, okay, so I'm, I, I, Norm hates when I do this, but I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. No, no, I love it when okay. you do it. He's like, oh, you can't do that because you can blah, blah. No, you just keep saying, like, I'm going to play devil's yeah, advocate yeah. before okay. everything you say. Now, <laughs> I, I, like, it, I just may have missed it in here, but what about the positive benefits of the polarization? Okay, and yeah, cool. that is, you know, we it. live in, we live in a for the most part our society is functioning. You you know, we there are a lot of drawbacks that we have and this and that and the other thing. But we there's a fulcrum in the middle and everybody what is it what's it saying is that it's slowly drifting out but the fulcrum is still there. Mm-hmm. Right? The fulcrum yep. is still in the middle. So, if there's a stalemate in our institutions, maybe it's because things are for the most part working and this is just rabble on both sides just getting more extreme but because the it, the way that our three party system or institutions are created that bureaucracy slows everything down Do and you mean it's the three just, branches yeah okay and sorry. so the just this this idea that it doesn't matter how mm-hmm. extreme people get we at the end of the day, that fulcrum is still in the center, and are we're still chugging along, and things are progressing. All right, devil's advocate, I like that. Um, I think that what you're saying is that gridlock is the American political tradition. Like, totally, that's yeah. what we do. We do gridlock. So when people talk about gridlock, it's like, yeah, gridlock. That's what we do. We're not, and that goes to this idea of like, you're not trying to move things too fast one way or another. Because the whole has to accept it. You know, it's interesting. We were talking, Robin and I were talking about the Supreme Court cases. And she was at a party and they were kind of really dismissing the Supreme Court case for even existing. But nothing gets to the Supreme Court that isn't complex in some way. Like, that's what the Supreme Court's for. Now, you may not agree with a ruling or something like that. But it goes there because there has to be some political will 
that fuels the ruling or whatever it is. Nothing gets up through all the courts that isn't complex in some way. Okay, it might not be politically complex, excuse me, it might not be ideologically complex or factually complex, but it might be politically complex. And so I really agree with you, Waylon. I do feel like American tradition is gridlock. Although, here's another way to view this. 1950, we've come out of the Second World War. You were a building empire. We finally entered the world stage as kind of what the preeminent rising empire. And we're unified. And everyone's, by the way, so scared from what just happened that everyone wants a lawn with a picket fence. Like when people mock the 50s, I think they're forgetting what just happened, which was the Second World War, the Holocaust, atom bombs. I mean, people were rattled and unified. And there was an economic growth there that was unprecedented in American history. Well, the fear was being directed outside of national borders. Sure, Soviet Soviet stuff, absolutely. And then what we've seen, there's another way to argue this, is that we've ascended ever since 1950. We're more and more powerful, more and more powerful. And when it's like Rome, when you get that powerful, it becomes the homicidal bitchin' that goes on in every kitchen on who will serve and who will eat. Leonard Cohen's quote. You know, it becomes... Not about any larger communal thing. It's like, that's mine. You know, and the political parties, that's what they do. They grab stuff from the trough. You know, that's one thing they do. They grab money for their people. So the analogies to Rome and the downfall of the Republic are so rich and yes. do this all day. <laughs> yeah, all day. Um, but in basics, like when you talk about gridlock and that, that that's the basic plan of the American government, that's that's generally true when you look at like how the founders set everything up. Um, but the real problem nowadays that I would point to, and my students listen to me rail about this all the time, the executive branch. Mm-hmm. There's no gridlock in the executive branch. As The less Congress does, the more it opens the door for the executive branch to take things over. Of course, Congress can always overrule them. Right? Because, because what this empire really needs is an emperor. Right. right. That would be the Circling argument. back to Rome. And this is how the Romans got themselves into this exact position. And, you know, I think the first couple emperors were, or at least the, yeah. you know, I think Caesar um, and Augustus Caesar were, were generally benevolent. And then, you know, you, you end up in a different place. But, but yeah, that, that's sort of the problem that we have now is this, this... But the executive branch has been expanded consistently since J- Jack Kennedy and... Through, yeah, or, you know. and every time Congress does something, they're giving more power to the executive branch that's to right. go do it. But the problem is that they don't then have the unity in Congress to stand up to them and push back on something that they would otherwise disagree with. All right, folks. Don't we are going to take a quick break. And on the other side, if you want to call us, the number is 413-545-3691. 413-545-3691 is the number. We'd be happy to take your calls on polarization. 413-545-3691. We'll be back in a minute, folks. <laughs> 